Welcome to The Life of the School, Episode 7. Hello and welcome to Life of the School. My name is Aaron Matthew and I'm a biology teacher from Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode on Life of the School, I sit down with a fellow life science teacher and I talk about what it is that brought them into the classroom, what they're working on, and what their hopes are for the future. Uh, this week, it's my pleasure to talk with David Knufke. David is an educator from Deer Park School District in Deer Park, New York. He has taught biology, chemistry, and a series of electives, several of which he created for his district. David has developed a wide collection of materials for his AP Biology and Honors Chemistry students, and he has made these materials freely available to any interested colleagues. These resources include a series of videos that serve as the major text for his honors chemistry course and a series of prezies that span the length and the breadth of the AP biology curriculum. David also is actively involved in the science teaching community at the local, state, and national levels. In 2015, David was a New York State finalist for the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching. In 2012, he was the recipient of the Kim Foglia AP Biology Service Award by the National Association of Biology Teachers. Many AP biology teachers will know him as a former moderator of the College Board AP biology teacher community. David is also the founder of the Unity and Diversity Science Teaching Writing Project, which publishes annual collections of writings by science teachers. David is the co-host of Horizontal Transfer, a weekly science educational podcast with Paul Anderson. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. It's glad to be here. Uh, yeah. Wow, that is that is a, a long. I, I sometimes struggle uh, putting together uh, biographies for people, uh, but you are like the easiest person in the world to internet stock. Yeah, no, it's um, very easy. The last name, <laughs> it's it's it is a it's a real blessing in this career and what I've done in my career because, yeah, my wife's my wife's last name is Kelly, so. When you search for her on the internet, you do not get her at all. <laughs> like you yeah. can't find her. I mean, when I search for her, Google knows what I'm talking about, but I don't think anybody else gets her. But yeah, if yeah. you search for Knufke, you're going to get me or a uh, distant cousin, uh, Kirk Knufke, who plays the jazz cornet. These are the two Knufkes that, that go right to the top of Google. Well, great. So this this may actually be a little bit of a crossover episode between uh, Life of the School and uh, Horizontal Transfer. We may get to that later. Yep. I think maybe I'll change my picks to uh, to Twill uh, <laughs> in honor <laughs> in honor of that. Uh, but let's get started on my format. And uh, with that, I want to ask you the question I like to start with everyone: Is how did you become a science teacher? What led you into the classroom? Yeah. Oh man, I've uh, I don't know. I think it was it was the only like, professional job I ever really thought about doing. I, I toyed around in my undergrad biology training in a lab for a little while to see if I wanted to do the research science thing, and I was I was just not, I was objectively just not very good in the lab. It was a fruit fly lab, fruit fly genetics. Uh, I was not very good. The lab was not really a very good teaching lab. It was just not not really a great uh, great situation for me. And so uh, my parents were both teachers. Mom taught French and dad taught biology. And it was one of these things where people, you know, family friends who were all teachers or administrators, they would all say, oh, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to be great at it. And I, I really didn't know that, that, that I was going to be good at it or even passable at it until I really kind of committed to doing it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the greatest job in the world. It was just been so much fun 
over the last 14 years to be a classroom teacher. But yeah, I, I, I kind of went right into it. Um, I got my undergrad in uh, biology and then I got a master's in Stony Brook had a three semester master's of arts in teaching for particularly for a science concentration. So I did that particularly for biology, got certified and, and got right in the classroom. So I guess I, I have about as straight a path to teaching as, as any teacher that you'll talk to. Wow. And it was, it sounds like it was not a reluctant path either. I think, you know, when I talk to a lot of people, you're not, you're now my second Stony Brook, Stony Brook grad, uh, who I had on. And I I think my pathway was a little bit more like hers in the sense that I went in and I studied biology and I toyed with the idea of maybe going to medicine or this or that. And like you, I'd had a lot of good, um, role models and I had seen a lot of teachers as professionals. So it wasn't, it wasn't crazy. And I think that's sort of one of those barriers that a lot of people struggle with is that if you haven't seen teaching as a profession, um, and you haven't seen both the ins and the outs and you haven't seen the, the people working at it, you know, as something that they drive and work on year in, year out, and you only just see the teacher who stands in front of you in the room, but you don't sort of see how the sausage is made. Sure. You know, maybe, (laughs) maybe it's harder to wrap your mind around that, um, around that sort of profession. Um, yeah, I so think that's... you're. I think you're absolutely right with that, and I think that's even early in my career. I can remember. I mean, I started in the last big sort of like hiring craze in New York State mm-hmm. education. So you know, I started maybe in my district with like thirty other teachers that were all hired that year, and it, it tailed. It's tailed off since then. But I can even remember the first three or four years of my career. Some of those colleagues that I started with totally being like kind of walking on eggshells with regards to the superintendent or, or the principal of the building, whereas I was just always very comfortable with, with those folks, and I had some understanding of the fact that they were, you know, engaged in the process of becoming the best educators they could be, and I always felt that that was helpful because you don't, you don't come into it with that, with that sort of uh, reification of what the, what the teachers are and, you know, the, the notion that they're, that they're kind of above all of the kinds of things that I think we find all teachers are engaged in from day to day. Yeah, and this actually sort of, you know, converts into the next conversation. So when I think of you, it's it's funny over the last, you know, I, I know you've gone through this in terms of your career and you go through sort of these different phases. Sure. And I feel like for me, you know, the last couple of years in particular, um, I've noticed a, a few different things. And I've, I've always been somebody who, you know, it, it's strange as I sit here and I, I now have a podcast where I interview uh, biology teachers. And so, like, I'm clearly on the creator side right, right. now. Uh, but it's it's really actually not my nature. Okay. Um, I, I you know I'm somebody who who will talk to I, anyone who knows me will say I will talk your ear off face to face. You know, <laughs> but I'm not somebody who gets who puts myself out there sort of in the larger community. Um, and I've sort of had to grow into that role. But I remember something you said very early uh, in your horizontal transfer podcast. You basically said I have a real th- low threshold for sharing. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm curious sort of where that professional practice comes from. Is that you know, is that from that nature of what you saw growing up? Is it from the culture of the school you you teach in? Is it specific mentors? Where did that come from? Yeah, it, it comes from, I think, all of those places. I mean, my parents both taught in a time where it wasn't quite as easy to share as it is these days. I mean, it's, it's so easy to share what you're doing in your classroom. Um, you know, you can do it using, using free online tools where you can just put everything kind of as an afterthought. And so uh, my parents were always very collaborative kinds of educators, but they didn't really have the the options that I think a lot of us in education right now have in terms of getting materials out there. Um, but it's, I've always been really um, open in terms of 
just putting my stuff out there. Like I don't, I'm, I'm not proud. I don't, I don't have a lot of pride in the work that I do. I mean, I think it's good work, but I, what I mean by that is I won't get upset if somebody takes what I do, what I do and improves it. Or if somebody finds mistakes in what I do, I, I won't be embarrassed at all when, when that kind of process happens. And I think it's how work gets made better. And then I think the other thing is that, I mean, I forget, I think it was Neil Gaiman I saw give a speech where he said that he really viewed his career as one of, you know, kind of being on a, on a desert island and just throwing, throwing uh, messages in a bottle off the desert island into the water. And, you know, 90 of those bottles will, will never hit a destination. But, you know, one out of every 10 of them might, might get somewhere and resonate with somebody. And I've found that, too. In, in order really to get the kinds of educational structures that have really resonated with me and that I've really been really fortunate to, to be a part of, I, there is that kind of ratio of a lot of the stuff you put out there. I mean, it's just not going to resonate. And so you just have to, you really just have to keep throwing it out there. And then people usually, or it's been my experience, they'll take the stuff that really, really sticks in their brains and they'll take it and they'll run with it as long as you make it available for them and make it okay for them to do that. Yeah, I, I think for what I found is, I, and this is sort of going back, you know, um, you know, Paul's not in the room, but I think you know you're used to Paul always being in the room. Right. Um, you know, I saw I saw Paul's video a few years ago, and I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. I wonder how you do that. Yeah. And I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> figure out. I mean, I would direct kids over there as a, oh, you need an extra like ten minutes on such and such a topic, sure. and I would send them those videos. But to me, you know, they had a little bit of value. Right. But it's only been when I started to take the tools that he was using and it was the lens of seeing somebody else make something and then learning how other educators were taking those things and making them their own. Yeah. Um, and, and so for me, the exposure is, um, not to be, you know, overwhelmed by, Oh my God, look at these amazing people who are doing these <laughs> amazing things and I'll never do that. And I'm just going to go in my room and close the door or anything like that. Or I'm not going to take necessarily what they are, unless I'm going to take them as inspiration or as a jumping off point yeah. to modify what it is that I'm doing. Um, and I think sort of that's where I am. I need to take time to reflect, think about what does this mean when I take it over in my 47 minute periods that I have and what I ask my kids to do. And, you know, sometimes questioning what's the meaningful work that I'm asking my kids to do. Right. I think that's a really important part of the process. Uh, video has a lot of issues tied into it specific to video, but I, I'm like you in that, um, I mean, I think we all, everybody who teaches AP Biology is familiar with what Paul's done over the last, oh, I don't know, let's let's say for the sake of modesty, let's say five years that he's been doing it, or six years, yeah. or seven years, and um, people have tried to implement it in different ways, and uh, I think you do, you do need to find the, the structure that works best for you, and so by the only way that you can do that is if there are people like Paul who are putting things out there and are willing to share sort of how they're how they're doing it. And I, I also think that that's kind of a fundamental change to sort of the dominant model of, of educational resource creation for a long time, which was just sort of locked away by, um, you know, various concerns and really could only be used in limited capacities. And, mm -hmm. and as these tools have gotten wider and wider over the last, let's say, 10 years, it's really kind of blown the door open on that so that people can take what other people are doing and, and really adapt it and modify it and do that work of kind of sitting with it and having it marinate in their, in their own process to figure out how to, how to implement that into their own classrooms. 
Yeah, one of the things I actually did this week as uh, when we knew that we were going to talking is I, I went actually back and listened to, don't cringe too much, oh, but I did God. listen to some of the, the, the first <laughs> few of the uh, horizontal transfers. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it was really interesting because Paul was talking about specifically having the textbook company come in right. and tell him he had to take down a bunch of his videos because he was event. using the images. Yes. And, and I had this moment because I have been... Uh, working a little bit on some videos, um, and maybe we can t- touch upon this a little bit later. But I've been working on a few different videos, and I specifically have been searching. Oh yeah, using the you know labeled for reuse. Absolutely. Uh, like specifically starting that, and honestly, I would have never done that. You know, when if sure. I was going to do this now, and and I had came up with the ideas. Oh, there are these tools out there. You know, like an Ed Puzzle and YouTube, right. and there's people doing the flip classroom. Being able to hear people talk about that, uh, to see the the resources that that have been, um, it's been wonderful for me in terms of professional development. Um, I, you know, it's 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 also been, and I think this is probably one of the more important things. Uh, I think there's a really nice humbling aspect. Yeah, um, I think when, you're right. You know, when you have a lot of wins, and you know, I'm I'm very fortunate. I've had really great luck the last few years as a teacher. Sure. And then you you get to go and you go to the NABT conference and you sit down and you look around and go. Oh yeah, no. I I feel <laughs> no, on my best days I feel wonderful and I feel like I own this. But there's so much sure. more I could do, and there's so many things that I could work on. That my career has been wonderful to this point. But oh my God, I only have like you know, fifteen twenty years left right. to work on this. Like yep. it's, I almost feel like the I'm on the back nine, and I've got like it's like the time is ticking. Yeah, I know, you know what you're like, saying. I got to work on all this stuff to to get better. And um, you know, that's, I think it speaks a little bit personally to drive, but also a little bit to, you know how you can get your eyes opened when you go out and you see those, uh, the wonderful work that other people are doing. Yeah. I've, I've had that experience at like every professional event I've ever gone to just to be in a room with folks who are doing like amazing things who aren't maybe as outwardly focused or outwardly projecting as I might be. So you don't even know the cool things that these people are doing until you talk to them. And then you're like, wow, you're doing things that are unbelievably impressive. And it is, it's a really humbling experience but it is, I think, really important uh, for to, to have that experience as an educator because it gives you ideas and it helps you think about kind of where you want to focus your attentions going going forward. So it's it's a really important process. Um, I, I'll just a tangential story. When Paul had the uh, issue with Pearson and the images that he used in some of his early videos, I was right in the middle of rolling out. Um, my, my Prezies that I used in AP Biology for a number of years, and these were like a wide release resource. And I had a friend who had a connection at Pearson initially, and so I had written to the guy at Pearson and said, is it okay if I use the images from Campbell 7th edition or whichever edition I used? And he wrote back and said, fine. And I don't think he really understood sort of the, <laughs> the sharing aspect of the Prezies and the fact that you know everybody could make a copy who wanted to make a copy. And so then Paul had this issue with Pearson and had to, you know, take down all these videos and change the images in them. Um, and I, I, I was totally freaking out at that point because I was maybe three, three units into this really big project. And I wrote to this guy again and I said, you know, is it, are you sure that this is okay? Because I need to, I need to pull this chain now if I'm going to have to, if I'm going to have to change the way that I'm doing these images. And, and he said, he said, it's okay as long as you don't do anything else with the images, as long as you only use them for these prezies. And so I'll frequently get questions from people that are like, how did you get the permission to use the Pearson images in your prezies? And I'm always like, just really dumb luck and timing more than anything else. Yeah. 
Well, that's there's a that is interesting timing. I, I, I would have, I think, I would have totally freaked out. I might have just gone like, "Yeah, we're just gonna do Creative Commons." Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Images. And uh, in the uh, videos I've rolled out over the last two years, it's it's all Creative Commons stuff. Like Zotero and Wikimedia Commons are like my two best friends. When I go through to yeah. gather images and media for the purpose of a video, it's like you you need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we touched upon a couple of different projects and, and I'm, I'm really curious. I'm actually going to flip my, my questions on you sure. a little bit because we keep talking about Paul. So let's keep yeah, him man. forefront. So like, you know, how did you, I, I did hear a little bit of the story. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. And my sure. hope is that like six months from now when, you know, Paul's not, you know, in Singapore, uh, we can, we, I can get him on and I'll ask him and I'll see if the two stories match up. Yeah. It'll be a little bit of a, you know, you know, interrogating the two witnesses <laughs> apart but um so uh so how did this project of horizontal transfer come about allegedly um and i and i preface that because i i just have no memory of this occurring but i'm sure that it occurred and i think that we have um independent corroboration from uh, some from uh, vectors out there that this has in fact that this did happen like people witnessed this conversation but so um i do a lot of professional work for HHMI, as I'm sure you know, and a lot of people out there know, and they're a great and very generous organization. And so, you know, they will, if you're going to present for them, they'll foot the bill for you to go to a conference that's airfare and lodging, and they'll even give you a stipend on top of it. It's just, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly generous situation that they have going on. And um, NSTA, let's say, I guess it was three years ago in Boston, um, they wanted to know if I could, if I could go and I, I wasn't planning on going just because I had already done NABT that year. And over the last couple of years, I've just kind of been focused on trying to stay a little bit more in my classroom. And I said, no. And they said, well, are you not going? Cause you don't want to miss school because if that's the case, we really only want you for this one event where we're bringing in a whole bunch of teachers to, it was sort of the, the opening event in their bio ambassadors program, which has since grown grown quite a bit and they wanted me to present on doing one type of PD for them to kind of model it to the group. And so they said, you know, you can drive up on Friday after, after school, you can, uh, you can spend, you can stay in the hotel, you can present on Saturday and you can, you can go back home on Sunday. We don't need you for any other part of it. And I said, okay, yeah, no, that's fine. Brought the family up for a nice vacation in Boston for, for 48 hours. It wasn't bad. But so at this, at this HHMI event, Paul was there as well. And we were talking about different things because we just always talk about different things. Um, and this is apparently where he said to me, if you're ever interested in doing a podcast, you know, I'd like to do a podcast with you. But I don't remember hearing that at all. Yeah. Cut to NABT later that year. And he brought it up again and said, you know, I'd, I'd floated that idea of doing a podcast because we'd always talk about the podcast that we like. Mm -hmm. Are you are you interested in doing uh, podcast. And I said, sure. And he said, well, you know, why didn't you let me know about it when I brought it up at NSTA? <laughs> and I said, I don't think you did, but I, I think that's on me in retrospect. And so um, after we got home from that one, that was in Cleveland, we uh, kicked around for a couple of weeks and did the various groundwork that you have to do when you want to bring on, when you want to start a podcast. And uh, that's kind of where it came from. And it's just kind of gone from there. Yeah, you kicked it off in the middle of the school year, which having done this <laughs> last year, like you kicked yours off in like December. Yeah. It was like, I, I was realizing that the other day when I was listening to him and I was like, yeah, I kicked mine off in June. Yep. Um, <laughs> after the AP. <laughs> yeah. I have learned, I, can't imagine. I have learned a couple of uh, things about big media projects over the last three years. And the first is that I am always going to underestimate the amount of time and effort necessary for that media project by like a factor of, 
you know, a hundred percent. I'm going to, I, whatever I need to think about it, I then need to double that. And then maybe I'll start to approximate how long it's actually going to take. And that's true of the podcast as well. And I mean, I'll tell you for, so for the last, I don't know, 20 episodes or 15 episodes, we have fortunately through, through the Patreon funding, we have enough, uh, we have enough funding each episode so that we can pay a former student to, to edit it. And I used to do the editing, and I don't even know how I used to do the editing thinking back on it because, you know, it's, it's, it's a chunk of time that you need to sit and listen to an episode in order to edit it. Um, but somehow you just kind of you figure out ways to make it work. But, yeah, in retrospect, it's probably not the best time for, uh, for an, a group of educators to, put, to start an educational podcast. Yeah, it, it was really funny because, you know, I, I, I've told the story a few different times that I, I had originally thought. So it was probably the NABT – that uh, was the following NABT um, where you guys had already started yours. You guys sure. actually did a presentation yep. at the one down in Providence. Um, and I saw you guys up there. And, like, honestly, like, I was coming through the room. I had been meeting with people because I was doing a presentation. And I saw you guys up there. And I was like, huh, I wonder what that is. And I just, like, walked right on by. Didn't even didn't <laughs> even dawn on me what you guys were doing. You guys have been doing this for a year. And I had gone out with the group that I had presented with, um, and I sat down, and we had this, like, great talk, and I was like, oh, man, you know what? I love to have a podcast where I have, like, a roundtable, and I sit down, and I talk to these people. And I spent a couple months sort of thinking about that, kicking around, and I was like, oh, my God, the amount of technology and time <laughs> and effort to get multiple people to talk sure. on a podcast at the same time was crazy. And then I got down to the idea, and I'm like, you know what I need is, like, I need two. I need, like, two people to sit down and talk about it. <laughs> right. And then I discovered your podcast. <laughs> like, it was literally, that was the arc of how it went. And it was like, oh, yeah, so I'm not going to be able to do, so that was when I became a Patreon. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to give them, give them money because they came up with my idea, like, <laughs> a year and a half before I figured it out. And then I sort of started to think a little bit more about it and talk about it. And that's sort of where I got to this this format. Yeah, of, it's great, you know, though. Twice I'm, I'm... a month you know, sit down and talk. Yeah, man, it's, it's perfect. I think it's a, my other idea for a podcast and if someone out there is listening and they want to steal it, I'll give it away. But my other idea for an educational podcast, which is out there, it's another two person format podcast, but I feel like what you need to do is you need to restrict it to like one educational system. So like one school district and you have one person (laughs) just edu, just talk with people that are all the different, you know, stakeholders in the district. So you can have, you could obviously talk to a teacher one episode, but maybe the next episode you talk to the president of the board of education, and maybe the next episode you talk to a custodian or a bus driver. And that way you kind of get another vision of kind of what education looks like. There's a million ways to do podcasts in the educational space, but a lot of them, uh, you know, a lot of the formats kind of are being fleshed out and established. But certainly, you know, if, if somebody started a, a science education podcast with two science teachers every week next week, we, we wouldn't begrudge them that at all. I mean, it, it only makes the entire yeah. conversation more robust. Yeah, it's, a, it's I call it narrow casting. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, like, because it's not a, you know, I'm not looking to have like an audience of 10,000 or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, because you won't. It's a pretty narrow group of people. <laughs> yeah, right. it's a pretty narrow group of people I'm talking to. And I also said I started this mostly for myself. Sure. Um, this is like, this is the thing where That's if I get meeting. something valuable, yeah, if I get something value out of this at the end of the year and I can look back and think of all the conversations I've had and I share it out. Right. Uh, and some other people get some stuff out of it. That'll be, that'll be wonderful. So um, in terms of your driving something i want to talk about another thing that i read and i've read so many of these from last year good um, particularly through twitter because twitter was wonderful uh was your university uh, your university your unity and diversity project uh that you started a couple of years ago i think this is your you've done two years and you're getting ready to get into three yeah this is the third year of this so can so tell us a little bit about the unity and diversity project and how it came about yeah sure there's this um 
there's this organization called The Edge, and I, I we've talked I've talked about this uh, a couple of times in the past, but they do this annual question series where they put up a question, something like, you know, what idea should be destroyed or what is something you believe but cannot prove? And they ask all of these thinkers, so they could be, um, they could be research scientists, they could just be sort of like intellectual luminaries, they, they, they range far and wide, and, and everybody kind of holds forth on this, on this question, and then they're usually collected, they're put into books, you can, you can find them, it's the, it's the annual question series from The Edge, and I, I just thought that that was a lovely, lovely format, like, what a brilliant idea, they certainly didn't come up with the idea, but it's just, it's just a great idea for a way to have a conversation and and one of the other things that kind of always gets at me is that when people talk about education in this country usually they're not talking to the people who are actually the educators and so I just thought why don't we just put these two ideas together and so let's get a bunch of educators and we and we we kept it to science teachers but let's get a bunch of science teachers who want to talk about a particular topic and let's come up with a topic that we want to talk about and then everybody can write on that topic and we'll put them all together we'll throw it on a website and we'll we'll call it a year and so that's kind of where it came from i um i found that in my own project planning like eight people is usually about the perfect number before it gets too big for a project like this. So if you want people who are actually going to work on something and, and have some accountability, you really don't want to get much larger than about seven or eight people. So I, I talked to seven or eight educators that I knew very well from, from my various professional networks and said, do you want to be part of this process? I don't know what it's going to look like exactly, but they all said, yeah. And so we built this unity and diversity writing project and we had these annual writing cycles. And so the first year was, um, you know, what is, what is the value of of struggle in the science classroom, and everybody wrote about that. And then um, this year was what's the most important uh, idea that you try to teach, and everybody wrote on that. And uh, it's just great. It's another great way to get a lot of really good ideas from a lot of really interesting people. Um, and the, the format of how people write them are widely variant, and you learn a lot about the ways that different science teachers think about teaching students, and so um, it, it's worked really well, and it's actually gotten to the point now um, for a variety of reasons that I actually was able to kind of hand it off to two of those other teachers that I brought on initially, and so they're running the entire process this year, and, um, but, I, you know, I'm still participating in it, and so the, the poll is open right now at unitydiversity.org for people to suggest topics, and then I guess there's going to be voting on it that probably starts next week. And once that's decided, then people will write for, like, the next three months before submitting them. They'll be edited, and then they'll be posted on the website. It's a, it's a nice, nice little thing that I think that we've kind of developed together, and I really, uh, I really appreciate that as well. Not only, as you had said, having a podcast where you can think about the conversations that you have over the course of the year has been truly, truly useful to my own development as an educator, but I think also this has also been really, really useful to kind of get these perspectives from all of these teachers. And so it's open to any science teachers out there, and um, I think we've, we've kind of broadened it over the last year so that as long as you have taught a room full of kids at some point in the last three years, um, you can write for us, and anybody who's interested in writing or participating in that process of thinking about the topic or even just reading what people write can check that out. Um, it's a it's a beautiful beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, enorm enormous uh, database of ideas. Right. I, I can remember, you know, I, it, there's a lot of 
stuff out in the internet where you can, you know, click around and get distracted and go down a wormhole and have it be completely wasted time. Right. And I can't tell you how many times last spring, you know, something would get posted and it'd be like, I would, you know, be walking around just thinking about what, you know, Paul Strode had to say about something sure. or what Daniela or say, like, like I'm reading what they have to say and just like thinking about their deep writing on a topic and what that meant in respect to my classroom and the work yeah. that I do. And it, it was, you know, some of those ideas that, you know, here it is, I haven't read any of them in, in how many months, but I could, I can remember reading some of those even today. Like I can remember the topics and the themes and sort of, you know, the, I think the classroom has such emotional pull. Right. Um, that when you read something so personal and something that somebody cared about so much and it connects to what you do on a daily basis, it, it has resonance. No, I, so. think, I think you're absolutely right. And it's good to hear because that means it's working. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is a, a neat project. So I, I will, in my laundry list of uh, show notes, I'm definitely going to put all those links in there. Um, so this transitions into, I, I, I almost think it's a scoop, although I don't know what's coming out in the next, uh, I don't know what's coming out in the next horizontal transfer, but I think this may be legitimately the first Life of the School uh, uh, scoop sure. uh, <laughs> that comes out. Uh, but I, I know that you are currently shifting your role within your school yep. district. Uh, so what is this new role that you're taking on in your school district? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think uh, listeners to our show over the last four months or so, probably have some inkling that perhaps I was thinking about pursuing a, a changing role in uh, my district or in another district. But through a variety of circumstances, I have uh, just accepted the position as what we call a curriculum associate, but would be a director level position of the science and technology uh, programs in Deer Park. And so um, that's a really big change. Um, it happened kind of unexpectedly, we had a, a wonderful, uh, uh, we had a wonderful curriculum associate in with us this past year, but he was offered a position in another district that's kind of a good move for him, and so he took it, and he took it last week, so this is, this week is the first week that we had students, he took it uh, the week before that, and so they were kind of scrambling a little bit, but um, they also knew that I would probably accept it if they offered it to me. And so they offered it to me, and I figured, yeah, let's, let's give this a shot. Let's, let's see what, how this goes. I, it's the, the killer here, and uh, folks out there who are listening will understand that this is a killer, is that I am not teaching any classes anymore in my district, which is, a, which is definitely, it was really hard. Uh, it was a hard week when I was thinking about that this week, the fact that I wasn't going to teach um, the students, and, and as you may know, like the students that I teach in 10th grade in honors chemistry then are the students that I teach in 12th grade in AP biology, and so mm -hmm. I was particularly thinking about the students that I taught in 10th grade two years ago that until last week thought that they were going to have me in AP biology. Um, and it, it's going to be fine for them. I mean, I have a wonderful colleague who's going to be teaching them, and uh, she does great work with, uh, with the other AP biology section every year, and now she's got two, so that, I mean, that works out. But it's just been, it's been a, a, a change. But I think what's really important for us, if you think about New York State and where New York State is in terms of its science standards, so this month, the Board of Regents is going to uh, adopt its adapted NGSS. And then we're looking at a, you know, a five-year rollout of those standards into curriculum and assessment. And so that's a really big deal. Uh, that's like a huge deal for New York State, and that's a huge deal for my district, and that's definitely something that we want to do correctly. 
And so uh, I'm excited to have a, a big role to play in that process. And so even though I had to kind of hang up the teaching side of my job, which is, again, it's just a tough thing to talk about even, the, the idea that I can kind of help to drive science and technology education in Deer Park in a more, in a more macro sense is, is an opportunity that at this point in my career, I just, I just couldn't really pass up. It was just, it was too good an opportunity to leave on the table. So um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've left the classroom um, and I've, I'm taking a side projects. I'm still, of course, <laughs> I, I, I had started rolling out these AP biology videos like two weeks before this all went down because I thought to myself, all right, I'm in the classroom this year and this is the year I'm going to use uh, videos with AP biology. So I better start rolling out these videos. And so uh, I will, I will get, still get some, some part, some small part of teaching through, through that video work, which is an ongoing sort of side project. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I am in my, in my career change. Uh, it's, it's definitely a different kind of role for me. I know that, uh, I, I've always loved the people that I work with in both the science and technology departments. I, I know everybody in my district pretty well through union stuff and other things. And so everybody's been really great and like really told me how glad they are that I'm making this transition sort of like from the superintendent on down, which has been great. And I feel really supported in that. But at the same time, it's a big change. Yeah, it's, it, it is really, uh, it'll be interesting. I think that you have the, this excellent perspective of a drive, you know, that, that holistic drive and how you can be supportive to help everyone right. do this. And specifically colleagues who, you know, you've worked with for a long time and you care about them and you, ha you have a, a vested interest in their success in this transition. Absolutely. I think that, that makes it much easier to do. But, um, you know, I, I, like the, you talking, I like I'm been cringing uh, as you talk about leaving the classroom. Yeah. Because it's so I, that's so much how I feel. Like I, oh, yeah. your words are exactly the same. My my AP biology students, like half of my AP biology students, I taught <laughs> honors bio too, and like uh, you know it it's that that grouping. Um, you know it. I also teach in an alternative program. Okay. Uh, where I have this this very small group, and like right now my class is four students, um, but it's a super tight knit, high right. risk of course. group. And, you know, every couple of years they talk about having me switch out and go do somebody else and somebody else is going to come in. And every year I end up getting traded back in there and everyone's like, are you OK with us? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. And there's part of me that feels like I would like other people to teach it. But there's also part of me who feels like if I'm not there, <laughs> you know, they'll be in good hands. But like it, I grow as a teacher because I work with these kids. Yeah, I work definitely. with these tough kids. Like you definitely grow as a teacher working with kids. And when you take that step outside of the classroom, there, there is this potential disconnect that can happen. I think if you've seen it long enough, it, it's it, it's something to worry about. But also, I mean, it's the reason you come to. I mean, I go to school every day for the kids, right? Um, so you know, I I can I can envision how how this is going to be uh, definitely a. a an exciting challenge from the curriculum standpoint, and I but I totally hear all of your hesitancy, sure. and I completely respect it. Um, the good news is, you know, it's it's this year. And yeah, maybe, exactly. You know, a couple more years, and if it if it doesn't wash, you know, you've got. Uh... Yeah, well, that's that's always an option, and and what's nice about uh, Deer Park is that there is that option. So, like, if if I feel like at the end of this year that this is just not not the direction I want to go, then I need then I can uh, I can I can hang it up and I can go back into the classroom. So. That's a, a nice thing, I guess, again, about kind of the district that I'm in and, and sort of where they value uh, leaders and quotes kind of coming on, uh, onboarding with them. Oh, so that's uh, very exciting. I'm, I congratulate you Thank because you. I know I, I have heard, I've heard a lot of the, you know, the, the thought process behind that. And I, I also know that when you get through a few years and you get to a point of leadership within the classroom, 
these opportunities naturally come about. Right. So to be able to jump off in this, in this is really a, the ideal environment to jump off into it. Um, it's congratulations. It's a, it's a well-deserved honor from people who know you well. Yeah, thank so. you. It's, it's good to hear. You know, I've, I've talked uh, a lot to other people who've kind of made these transitions. And yeah, there's, there's always that trade-off. But um, if you can kind of make that trade-off in, in, in pursuit of something larger, right, uh, then I think that that's really, really helpful. Like, I'm not, it's funny, you know, I interviewed in a couple of other districts as well in these other kinds of positions, and a lot of times people would kind of relate to this sort of director-level position as a quote-unquote stepping stone, I guess, to move into, move up into something else. And I just, I don't see it that way at all. I just, I see it as as the job to do now. And I mean, just like I can think back about how long it took me before I felt like I was a competent classroom teacher. I'm sure it's going to take a similar kind of process before I feel like I'm really competently doing this job as well. So it's like, let's not think about sort of the, 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 the future progression of like yeah. moving somebody out of this role. I mean, that's kind of what moved me into this role to begin with. So it's like, let's, let's just, let's do this job as well as we can for the students and for my colleagues. And then we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, that's uh, it's daunting, but I, I, I feel that they've done a, a nice job. I also like the promotion from within. So that's also uh, something that I always value yeah. deeply within a, within a school district. It's, so that's, it's that's one crazy. thing that I hadn't really thought about before I did this. And I mean, I, I had been a finalist in several other districts and uh, the comment that always would come back would be, you know, we went with the other candidate because they have experience. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, you know, how am I ever going to get experience if a district doesn't want to hire me because I don't have experience? Mm -hmm. um, but I'll tell you, like having been in this role for two weeks, like I can, I'm really glad that I did it internally in my district <laughs> just because of the yeah. amount of familiarity I have with the people and the structures that are in place and like thinking back on it, just thinking about what it would be like to make this transition into a brand new district and a brand new culture. I mean, that's, that's incredibly daunting. Hmm. All right. So I don't want to stress you out anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to transition topics. No worries. <laughs> so, uh, when you're, you know, not, uh, stressing out about new standards, sure. um, uh, what do you what do you do to as your downtime? It doesn't seem like you have any downtime, but what are your what is your downtime like? I try to really focus on spending time with my with my family more than anything else. Um, my son is uh, four years old, four and a bit, and um, in before he kind of came onto the scene, I would probably talk about sort of being working on various like I had a terrible work life balance, and uh, you know it'd be like, what do you do in your downtime? And be like, well, you know, I'm I'm developing this or I'm working on that in relation to to the job, um, but certainly over the last uh, couple of years, it's really been more focused on just kind of trying to enjoy the time that we have with him, um, without without getting too much into it. We, you know, he's our he's our second child. We 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 had a stillbirth at 39 weeks in our first child, and so uh, we've we kind of really had to had to. Not that it's not work for everybody, but, you know, we really feel like we earned him and we really want to try to mm. enjoy as much of him growing up as possible. So um, really, it kind of depends upon what he's doing, what, what we're doing with him. Um, like, for instance, this summer, he really started to like bowling. And so we all we all went bowling a whole lot. And uh, I was never a good bowler and I'm still not a particularly good bowler. But that was, you know, Connor's into bowling. So. We're all going to go bowling. And then, of course, I mean, there's the other things that we do. So we like to spend a lot of time outdoors, hiking, kind of enjoying the, the natural environment. My wife is also a, uh, 
a trained biology educator, so we both put a lot of value into uh, the natural environment. And I, I read a lot, and I just kind of try to enjoy my life as much as possible. But I've really, and I, I can't say this enough to anybody out there who's listening who may feel like their work-life balance is a little bit off. Like, I've really tried to focus on just really focusing on the family when when you have these divisions in your life and just trying to really not let work creep into that. I think in a way, perversely, it might seem like you're spending less time thinking about work, but I think it makes you a better teacher if you can spend some time focused on other things. Yeah, it's it, it's funny because when I, you know, we my kids are a little older, and so they're in a, a slightly different position. Sure. So uh, we spend a lot of time taking our kids right. to places. Of course. Um, <laughs> so I coach, like, my nine-year-old, he plays soccer. And I, I played all growing up and, and did a little bit of coaching um, on the high school level even. So I, I go and I take him, and I, I coach him, like, three days a week. So I'm definitely doing that with him. My older son is in eighth grade now. Um, so it's more or less, you know, bringing him to places <laughs> than, yeah. than, than spending that time. Uh, but you know, I do make sure that I, I do things where I like, it's almost like I run and I distance run cause I, I like, I can't work on PowerPoint right. when I'm, <laughs> like, I can't go on a nine mile run and like work on, but it's funny cause I, I think the downtime that you take or the time that you spend out, you know, doing these totally different things are those important breaks that you need when you have that opportunity to yeah. sit back down. I if, think you, you're right. if you sit there and try to bang your head against you know, this topic. Yeah, you need the space, um, right? You need, yeah. you, know, you almost need to get your brain off of whatever it is that it's on so it, so it can get unstuck on whatever it is that you're doing. I agree with you that having those, having those break times is so important to staying fresh, uh, you know, so that you, you can be your best in the classroom. I think if you're, if you're stressed out all the time, right. that translates to, you know, your work. If you're like stressed out about time and you walk in a classroom and you stand in front of a group of kids, particularly the kids that you and I teach those, you know, those higher, you know, the honors kids, yep. those AP kids, and you're all stressed out about getting through yeah, everything and getting there. Uh, you're, <laughs> you know, those kids, I'm, I spend so much of my time, you know, I jokingly say, I, I sort of spend the first 10 minutes doing everything that people say you shouldn't do, right. you know, make sure that first five minutes is valuable. More often than not, when my kids come in, I am walking around talking to them, asking them about, you know, what's going on because they're such an on-edge group yeah. <laughs> that I actually spend a lot of Absolutely. de-escalation time with my honors and AP kids, which I know is not, you know, traditionally good practice. No, but, I think it is, though. I mean, it, it's you know, what they need, right? And I think, yeah. I think, I mean, oh, man, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on, on the on the podcast, this, um, this notion of, like, a best practice, like... I just, I find that to be more and more suspicious the longer I spend in education. <laughs> like, the idea that there's one best practice or even a handful of best things to be doing. I mean, I just think about the diversity of student circumstances and what, what, what we all need to do in order to build the relationships that you need in order to successfully teach, teach a class. And, uh, you know, I think the best practice is just to be as responsive as possible to your students. And if that means, you know, helping them de-escalate for the first 10 minutes, uh, that's that's great. I mean, that's what you should be yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really funny because I was reading the reviews at last summer for my kids and my AP kids were always saying, yeah, this is such a relaxed Good. course. It was so it was so laid back. And I was thinking it was like. This is not what most people say about AP, but like <laughs> right. my AP classroom was like, yeah, well, we'll get there. It's fine. You know, Absolutely. like I was, I, I take a very laid back there. I probably am a little bit more, I, I think I feed off the energy of my younger students a little bit more and I'm a little more intense with them, sure. but I think that's just the nature. It's a little bigger group. They're younger. They're a little bit more on edge. And I, I think they make it hard. I mean, I don't, I'm more on edge to get through things with them. 
Uh, but the older kids, I always, I always sort of take a step back because they're always, you know, juggling the college, ex- you know, college work or what am I going to do this summer right. or there are 8 million <laughs> extracurriculars that they're always juggling. Yep. I've, I can, man, I always, every fall it would be a conversation with AP where I'd always be like, raise your hand if you're concerned about college. And, you know, most hands would go into the air and I'll just be like, listen, I'll tell you the same thing that I've told everybody. And it's always been true. Like you're all getting into college. Like anyone who wants to go to college is going to go to college. Don't worry about it. And it's so many of them don't have adults who really tell them that at that moment in their lives because parents get, you know, parents get, and understandably they get kind of locked into the whole, the whole college like acceptance game and guidance is giving them messages and so on. It's nice for them to have adults in the, in the room who are just like, just relax. Everything's going to be fine. You guys are doing great and let's just keep doing great. All right, so we've talked a little bit about your new role. Yep. I'm going to take a, and uh, you, so now you were mentioning those K, uh, uh, those K biology videos that you've been yep. working on. So you know, now that you're in this new role, really, what are you looking forward to working on in this new role? What's what is priority one? I guess that you're looking forward to jumping off, and where does that go? Yeah, I mean, we could put aside just the the nuts and bolts of the job and just learning that. I mean, that's not very interesting, but it's important. I mean, for us, uh, we don't. My my science teachers are wonderful people. Like the people that I work with, they're all doing great work, and uh, I'm really proud of the work that we do in our district. But we haven't really had the group conversations about what um, what NGSS aligned science education really looks like, and sort of how we can take our curriculum and really focus more upon the the practices of being a scientist and bring that in throughout everything. And I'm also really looking forward to sort of the the marriage of our technology program and our science program. And we talked about this on horizontal transfer back when we talked about engineering, but you know, I have I have a, a two departments uh, full of science teachers who really haven't ever been trained to think about problems like engineers and probably just view it as sort of applied science. And then I have two departments of technology teachers who have been trained to think about things as mm. engineers, but not so much um, in that scientific process. And just to get those conversations happening, I think are really, really important. I'm also uh, really looking forward to like almost related, but kind of really far afield. I'm looking forward to um, redesigning our our middle school science science labs. So that's uh, that was all covered in a grant that was or in a in a bond that was passed last year. So there's there's money there, and the rooms are going to be redesigned. And so that that really excites me because I think just there's so much interesting stuff that's being done in terms of like room reconfigurations and how we can change the rooms and sort of modernize them. And so to get all of the teachers together and like consider that so that we can think about how we want to redesign our science classrooms to be best for, you know, best for them. That's really something that kind of excites me too. I know it's maybe a little bit weird to talk about the fact that that's exciting, but I think it's a, I think it's a really important thing for us to be doing. So, I mean, that's, these are the major things that I'm thinking about right now. And then I'm, I'm, I, I, I am eager to keep one finger in the work of working with kids. And so right now that, you know, that's the bio videos. But even after that, like, I think I, I'm sure that I'll take my various web spaces and continue to, to make them places that are useful for, for teachers and, and for students alike. So these are the things that I'm most, I'm most looking forward to, I suppose. Uh, still keeping a lot going, yeah. <laughs> uh, keeping keeping busy. All right, so 
Do you have any questions for me before we get to our uh, This Week I Learned? Sure, man. So, uh, you know, you've been doing this now for what? This is episode seven. So yeah. what's the, what do you think is the biggest, the biggest thing that you've learned having, you know, taken on this project? This is not, a, not an insubstantial project. And, you know, I would like <laughs> to think if anybody out there knows what's involved in a project like this, it's, it's myself. So uh, I, I want to know what, what you think about it. Well, you know, I said this before that I really have been sort of doing this for me. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the, one, uh, the one thing that this has done for me more than really anything else is it sort of has buoyed my spirits about sure. um, teaching yeah. and learning. Get that. Like, it's funny, you know, like I talk to people and I think it's actually maybe unhealthy, but it, for me, for what I do every day, it's healthy for me. When I hear from people talking, everyone keeps telling me how like, you know, educators are being beat right. up and how classrooms under fire and all of that stuff. And I, I'm walking around like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Educators are doing the most amazing <laughs> stuff yep. because I have managed to completely insulate myself in a world where I do this podcast and I talk to amazing, right. amazing educators. I listen to podcasts where I listen to amazing educators, I go onto Twitter and I see like, you know, Lee Ferguson telling right. me about what she's doing in her classroom. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is something I should be like. So I've done this thing where I, I feel like I am started, I've started to join the community of educators who are, are not getting bogged down yeah. in this conversation about the things that are wrong with education, particularly public education, and are more in line with talking about the conversation about what it is that we're doing right. Yes. And I don't I think that battling the the sentiment that's out there that, you know, everything is wrong in American education, I think that it's just it's too big. It's right. too big to do with any <laughs> for any one of us. It's, it's but I know in my time. It, Yeah, I know in in my school, I see great teaching and learning. Sure. And I know other educators who, when I have conversations about it, we don't get bogged down in, you know, we could get down into negativity, but we don't. We right. really talk about the meaningful work that we're doing, the meaningful drive behind what we're doing and what's the drive behind our students and sort of that hopeful message. So I think for me, like, I, I feel very hopeful yeah. <laughs> at the end no, of this. And I hope me. that... I hope that that, you know, I, I hope that that starts to spread yeah. and that as I, I talk to more educators, they start to see that because... Really, I, I said this, the drive that came out of this came from going to professional development and sort of that that spirit that I get after those professional development workshops where I come out of it going, oh, wow, that's so many great ideas. Um, and I feel like if I can start to push that conversation, you know, a couple times a month right. and put out these ideas and then collate these and post them up on my website as show notes, um, this will this will help. Um help part of that, you know, sort of positivity in education. Yeah, man. I mean, that's very, very similar to my own, my own experience. And I, I know, like, one of the best things that has come out of, out of horizontal transfer is the development of sort of the community of educators that kind of, uh, you know, uh, that have hooked into it and, um, and getting all of these ideas and seeing everything that everybody's doing that's so interesting and, and so much fun. And I think that that's really important as a teacher because I think you're, you're right. It's really easy. You can choose what you want to, what you want to focus on and you can focus on, on the bad. And I'm sure, you know, uh, Deer Park is not immune from having issues. And I, I, I'm sure that your, your district is not immune from having issues. And you could, you could focus on those if you really want to, and, but that's not going to help you do the work of, of teaching kids, right? And whatever yeah. helps you do that work as well as possible is going to be something that, that is a, a win in the long run. Yeah, and my hope is that I, you know, as I said, I, I don't have a history of being a great sort of creator sure. and generator. So this is my, yeah. you know, like like throwing that rocky yeah, and creating that ripple. Hopefully, hopefully it spreads a little bit, you know, Absolutely. out there. And, 
you know, I, I jokingly say that to coworkers who are sometimes getting down and they're like, oh, how do you feel like that? And I was like, I just don't have enough time to scream into the abyss. Right. I'm just going to go do the thing that I need to work Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And, and, you know, with sometime, you know, you guys, you guys talked about it. Um, the, the teacher's lounge yes. on a horizontal, uh, horizontal transfer podcast many years ago. And I remember thinking when you said that, I was like, there, there are certainly years where I am, uh, very scarce. Um, the kids know where to find right. me. Um, but the grownups don't. <laughs> no. And, uh, you know, the grownups who need to find me can find me, but I, I don't make myself grow in. But on the flip side of, of that, I've actually been working in the positivity and in my school. Good. I think it's actually made me go and seek out people who teach other disciplines that are different than mine and have conversations with them because, you know, it's important to teach reading and writing. Um, I, as a biology teacher, do not have those chops. Right. Um, that's not something that's in my wheelhouse. Sure. So, when I'm thinking about how to improve drafting processes, I've now found the colleagues within my building. And I think th- having these conversations with other biology teachers has been part of that, improving the spirit to go out and reach out and have those kind of conversations. Nice. Well, so It sounds like it's working. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> been great so far. I'm, I'm, I'll be like in two months from now when I'm trying to line up conversations in the middle of nah, the, the no winter, I'll be, I'll be a little stressed out, so... All right, so uh, let's. I, I call this pick of the week, so I'm going to change picks of the weeks, and I can say it's uh, you know this week I learned hey, it's, or it's your show, man. But we can yeah, do it. we'll call it this week I learned. This week I learned or twill. twill. <laughs> <laughs> so David, what did you learn this week? I learned about uh, bacterial resistance to antibiotics, which um, you know is something that I had quite a bit of familiarity with before, but um, there was just a video put out on YouTube from. Uh, Harvard Medical School, I think, if memory serves, and what they did was they took a like a giant petri dish, and they broke it off. It, it's so it's a rectangular petri dish, and they they sectioned it off, and so starting on either end, it was just nutrient agar with no antibiotics, and then the next division in was at a uh, like a one x concentration in both sides, and then the next division in was like a ten x concentration, and then the middle was a hundred x concentration. So they have you know, this logarithmically increasing concentration of antibiotics. And they, they seeded the plates uh, with E. coli on the outside, and then they just watched it. And uh, they have a time-lapse video of the bacterial colonies growing through the plates, and you can see them. It's, it's incredible to watch. Um, yeah. you, can, you can see the bacteria occupy the entire nutrient agar portion, and then you see just a, just a couple of colonies coming from just a couple of cells that evolve resistance moving into the 1x concentration and then into the 10x concentration and then finally into the 100x concentration which is both incredibly frightening but also really interesting to watch and based on that they could actually trace the the phylogeny of the evolution of the resistance in the colonies and it's Mm -hmm. a it's a neat thing to watch so um it was it was a great example of of a representation of something that I mean, bacterial resistance to antibiotics. Uh, maybe sickle cell anemia is a larger whipping boy in AP biology, but <laughs> like it, it is as fun as fundamental as as they come in in AP biology, and to to see it represented this way was really breathtaking, and so um, it was really cool. Yeah, it's a great video, and the, the when they overlay, um, you know, the the phylogeny yeah. on top, yeah. it's like it's one of those cases because you can see it. I mean, I, personally, when I watched it, and I, you know, I made the note, I actually came back to the the pics, and you had put that in. I was right. like, okay, good, because <laughs> I was gonna actually change my 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 twill uh, to that yep. because I had seen it in the morning, and I was like, 
Oh yeah, that I'm glad you picked that because it's so good. But when they overlaid it, I had been already overlaying in my mind <laughs> the the phylogeny as I was watching them branch out, and I was yep. like, oh my god, you can see the phylogeny. Yep. And then they layered it on with the colors. It it's an amazing thing. So uh, I hope uh, I hope everyone uh, gets yeah, a check out to that, that link. Video. It's worth your time. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth it. And uh, yeah, I had a saw a Vox article uh, about it as nice. well. So uh, maybe I'll throw that. Yeah, link please in there do. As well. Aaron, what did you learn about this week? So I learned about Tasmanian devils, sure, uh, and they are not just a cartoon. No. Um, which, <laughs> when I heard this, I was like, "That's all I could visualize in my head." But apparently, Tasmanian devils are rapidly evolving this resistance to a contagious cancer. Sometime in the last few decades, they had noticed that the Tasmanian devil population was crashing out because Tasmanian devils were getting this devil facial tumor disease. Apparently, part of their social hierarchy involves uh, face biting. Yeah. They were transferring this cancer within the communities. And so what they found is that all of a sudden, they stopped seeing the population crash out and they started seeing it sort of level out. And sort of same idea of evolution, you know, there got to a point where there was a resistance within some aspects of the population. And so they saw, rather than the crash of the population, they saw the crash stop. And then they went in to check it out. And, you know, in uh, Nature Communications, they they write out um, this paper where they, they identified specific genes. They okay. found that there were specific genes that are found in these resistant Tasmanian devils that were being selected for. Shocking. So for me, this is <laughs> this is you know talk about your your right. concept of resistance of your sickle cell disease or that sort of thing. So it's just one of those great examples of you know oh are there are any examples of evolution what like here we have yeah. a great example of population shift and you know I too have been working on some evolution videos as well. Um, my evolution videos are also on the next gen- generation science standards because they are. Uh, geared towards the Massachusetts right. adoption, which is you know based off of that, and I I've been working on uh, basically making videos that will help my at risk students oh, get ready great. for what will be the MCAS a few years from now. Yeah, um, and so I wanted to I, I haven't done this. I have a system that I use right now, which is uh, we use a learning management system called Moodle. Yep. And um, there are, you can build Moodle lessons. So about eight years ago, I built all these Moodle lessons based off of our old frameworks that would help our kids who came in work through these and they would get exposure to all the content and they'd be able to pass the state exam. Nice. And I get, I get kids who come from really diverse backgrounds. A lot of them have been out of school or come in the middle of the year, that sort of thing. So this is sort of my uh, brute force way of preparing them for the state exam. But with our new standards, that is going, there's a, a, a clock ticking on when those lessons become obsolete, sure. and that is two years from now when that's <laughs> it. So I've been I've been thinking about what I would do, and you know when I created those technologies, it really was before the flip classroom, and it certainly was before something like Edpuzzle. Now that we have those tools, I've been working towards that. So when I saw this Tasmanian Devil story, I was like, okay, so here's another example I can throw in. So I'm probably going to use this Tasmanian Devil as one of those examples I can use as sort of an in-class writing prompt. Nice. Uh, where I can give it to them and then have them come up with sort of that, all right, now explain to me how this exemplifies the natural selection we've been talking about. Perfect. So uh, I thought it was a, a neat story, and I may, oh, I don't know, show some cartoonish Yeah, of course. Videos you have in, to. In advance, <laughs> in, advance of, in advance of the story. Who knows how that's going to be. Yeah. No, it's, uh, man, I think, uh, I'm sure other people have said this too, but Brad Williamson has always always kind of gets on this thing where he's like, you know, there's so many great examples of evolution that are like modern examples of evolution. You should you should use those when you're talking to your kids, right? You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't necessarily go to the peppered moth 
right? Uh, or even necessarily, uh, you know, Darwin's Finches, though I guess you could do Grant, and we all do Grant stuff these days. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's so many examples of if, if evolution, if it really is, like, the universal process that we all know it is, we should be able to pull in uh, as many different examples as, as possible. Yeah, and I think both of these are great examples of that. Yeah, cool. So, well, David, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks uh, for this having has been me. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so let me give my quick uh, my quick credits here at the Absolutely. end. Um, so uh, Life of the School uh, music is provided by X Magicians and Jake Jenkins. Uh, you can get uh, this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Really, I'm going to stop reading the laundry list at this point. Uh, and uh, you can hear this twice a month. Uh, we come out usually the first and the third. Monday of every month. So hopefully you will go on and subscribe and uh, you can get show notes and other information at lifeoftheschool.org. You can also provide feedback on the website or through Twitter at Life of the School. I will talk to everyone in a couple of weeks. Very cool. 